Welcome to Roger and Me, a weekly imitation Siskel and Ebert podcast. That's what it is. No sugarcoating it, folks. That's what we're doing here. We are reviewing every movie that comes out every Friday uh, to celebrate the late, great Roger Ebert and, of course, Gene Siskel and keep their unique spirit of film criticism and film bantering alive. I've been told, Mark, you and I are too cordial. We don't fight enough. So I hope to res- to, to fix this today. Uh, I might have heard that rumor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I, might have, I might have listened. I might have listened to a certain episode, which was a lot of fun, by the way. Oh, thank um, you. And yeah, out, I did catch yeah. that little. It's out on I the public airwaves. Not so dig of a dig because i'm like I, i'm fine with us not fighting no it's not but i do dig. get it yeah it's funny a lot of people when i say the siskel and ebert imitation podcast they go "Ooh, man you guys yeah. must be going at it all the time and i'm like no. well no we mostly agree it's like a 90 90 agree and then 10 percent polite disagreement where we also uh, uh, reinforce each other's positions a little bit and go, yeah, I see where you're coming from. It's very cordial. It's, uh, it's very cordial, but I mean, it's 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 gotten not heated, but I mean, we've definitely disagreed to a point of um, like, oh, I shout. Yeah. I've been known to shout. I yell. Yeah, I already talk good. loud into the microphone. I like it. I'm happy with it. I'm We're having a good time. It. We're positively reinforcing ourselves. We'll find out what point. happens today because, um, yeah, I think I'm going to be arguing with myself more than you're going to argue with me on one of these. That's I fucking all know you are, my friend. <laughs> I, I'm going to bring... This is all going to come to a head. Uh, that's my co-host, Mark Dusick of MarkReviewsMovies.com, where he reviews every movie every week in written form, in the written word, a good old-fashioned film critic the proper way. I cheat. I only do this podcast. I just review things orally. Uh, A-U-R? or I don't know. Whatever, however you want to take that, you can take it. I'm here to review seven movies this week. There are seven movies out this week. There's actually eight, but I didn't get a chance to see Boston Strangler, a movie that is on Hulu now, and I will be watching it as of this weekend, and maybe I'll give a little note next week. But I've been it's been described to me as Diet Lady Zodiac, and it's got Kira Knightley and Carrie Coon, I believe, and Alessandra Nivola, who I love. So I'm excited to watch that movie. Mark has a review up on markreviewsmovies.com. Uh, so check that out. Uh, but you might be discouraged from watching it afterwards. Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe so, maybe not. I still want to watch it. But we're talking about seven movies. The widest release is Shazam! Fury of the Gods, a.k.a. Shazam 2. We've also got a independent movie. or No, nah, let's not say that. Not an independent movie. A movie from Focus Features starring Willem Dafoe. We've got a movie starring Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin called Moving On for the Grace and Frankie heads out there. We've got Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game, which is a very interesting one that I'm excited to talk about, starring Mike Feist of Wild... Oh, Jesus. Wild Wild West is almost what I said. Of West Side Story fame. The Steven Spielberg West Side Story. Uh, He was also great in Wild, Wild Wild West as a child roaming around where the giant spider was running around or something. I don't know. Uh, Wildflower, uh, a movie starring Kiernan Shipka and a bunch of like TV actors that you see in a ton of stuff. Um, uh, Gene Smart, um, Alexandra Daddario off the top of my head. Uh, I'm, I can't think of any others at the moment. Uh, Supercell, a twister 
homage, I want to say, uh, Amblin'y Twister homage. We'll talk about all these things. And then Rodeo, a French character drama. We'll talk about all of it. I'm very excited. Let's just get right into it, Mark, with uh, Shazam 2. I'm very excited to pick your brain about this one, especially because if you didn't know, listeners, Mark gave Shazam, the first Shazam, uh, four out of four stars, which he does not do lightly, I will say. And I read his review, and it's hard to disagree with anything he said. I quite like Shazam. I rewatched it today to confirm that. And it's like, I, I like it about as much I can as I can like a movie like this, where there's like a certain ceiling for me at an enjoyment level. And I quite like Shazam. So do I feel that way about Shazam 2? Uh, let's find out after the trailer. A lot has changed in the last few years. The wizard gave me superpowers. Shazam! And then everybody got superpowers. Started from the bottom, now we're here. All right, here's the situation. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. The daughters of Atlas are coming to hunt us. Children stole the power of the gods. You ripped it from our father's bubble. Okay, I feel like maybe I should be writing all this down. Give us the powers, child. Your world will not survive this. You want these powers? Come get them! Hey, Khaleesi! That is an accurate representation of what you get in Shazam 2. A lot of CGI stuff flying around. Throw another CGI stuff into other CGI stuff. Amongst the CGI backdrop. Um... Another one of those things where I came away from Quantumania, right? I came away from that being like, it's kind of crazy that these movies all just take place in like non-existent spaces and don't go to locations and just kind of exist in this visual nothingness. And this movie kind of has that problem too. And it really doubles down on just CG mayhem. Mostly, I guess that's like the third act or the final act really just as like a bunch of CGI creations that show up and fight a bunch of other CGI things that are happening. Um, I found this underwhelming for reasons that we'll talk about when we talk about Shazam 1. So I don't know how you want to start, but walk That's me a, through your complex, I'm, I'm assuming, my, emotions yeah, my new, regarding this my movie. Newly, my newly complex relationship. It's uh, it's complicated, is my relationship yeah. status. Mark Shazam. had to change his relationship status today. It's a very dark I, time. I I loved I love Shazam. I watched it again. I still love it. It's a joy. Um, it is really funny. It allows itself to be scary. I think the thing, the reason that I love it so much is because it really, amongst all the jokes and everything else, it really gets to the core of why the superhero fantasy is so impactful. Like that aspirational thing. Like anybody could be a hero if they just really want to, if they put their heart to it, if they have good intentions and want to do something right for other people. I'm like, yes, I'm all on board with that. I love that film. I was and very excited for a sequel. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to cut in to say, I want to cut in to say, I think the move, the first movie works on a rewatch. What I was struck by is a, the storytelling. There's like surprises to it. There's like mm -hmm. cleverness to it. Like the movie opens. I don't know if you also assumed what I think you're supposed to assume when Shazam opens that like it's a certain character. And then it's kind of a reversal that turns out it's like not that character. It's actually the villain that you saw. And then like it's like mirroring the hero's journey we're going to get with Billy, whatever his name is, Billy, Billy Baston, Billy yeah. Baston. And um, 
it's really good because it's based it's all so emotional and human and real and there's real stakes to it because of like i found the movie so gutting immediately like it opens with like a, a kid's family getting killed in a car accident that's like ostensibly his fault and then you meet this character whose mom abandons him which is like you know everyone's childhood fear of getting like lost in the grocery store or whatever and never seeing their parent again like that happens to him and that informs his arc of the movie and like it's just like those basic so, storytelling yeah. things that you take for granted when you see something like the second one which i found to be massively disappointing and i think you found to be i found it disappointing I found, for sure i found but. it I, w- I was very whelmed you were underwhelmed i was very <laughs> whelmed by it i was it's because it's, it's just trying to skate by on that good faith that you have from yes. the first one. That's and I'm all gonna, it's doing. It doesn't like add any anything new of value. Would you agree with that? I would no, I would disagree on that because I think it starts off fine. I think it starts off the idea of Shazam trying to find out like now that he is a hero, what kind of hero is he going to be? So he's sitting on, you know, he's talking with the, the doctor. Um, oh, there's a joke with that. Dr. Dario. Oh, excuse me. Dr. Yes. Dario Bava. Yeah. Combining two iconic horror director names together. If yes, anyone because, is because uh, the filmmaker is David yeah. F. Sandberg and he's a horror guy who he's living you know, the this... hashtag horror lifestyle. Check out the new flesh podcast if you want to know what that's all about. But yeah, he directed uh, what he started with lights out and then uh, did yes. Annabelle yeah. creation, which is a really good one, I think. Yep. Yeah, I think that's I think you're right. Um, <laughs> those are both solid. There's movies. so many yeah, those, Annabelle's. I was taking yeah. a guess, but I think that's that's all correct. I think yeah. so. I okay. So <laughs> I think it starts off fine. I think it starts off fine. I was very I was very excited because it does seem to be like okay, Shazam now needs to find out what kind of hero that he's going to be. Billy Baston, the teenage the teenager, is about to age out of the foster system, and he is still feeling like insecure about his place within the family that he is living with. Perfect. These are all new arcs. At the end of near the end of Shazam, his foster family gets all the superpowers and now they're teaming up and they're working together and they're bickering and they're bantering and they're bonding while they're trying to save this bridge. And the whole thing is very exciting and funny and heartwarming and all the things that I expected for a sequel for Shazam. And I was all on board with it. Um, and then the movie <laughs> starts to get away, it starts get away to become, from all of that. Yeah. It gets away from all of that because now you have to bring in these daughters of Atlas, uh, Helen Mirren, Lucy Liu play two of them. The third one is a bit of a surprise, so we'll, I'll, it's not much of a surprise, but it's a bit oh, of one. Very predictable, but yes, I guess it's yeah. a surprise. So I won't say anything about it, but there are three daughters of Atlas. They're trying to do something with the wizard staff that gave them their powers, and it has something to do with bringing the mythical realm to the or to Earth or something like that. And I, I don't really care about that stuff. And you're right. As you started off, it all builds up to this huge CGI versus CGI with CGI backgrounds and a whole bunch of CGI. It just doesn't look good, man. It looks bad. It doesn't. I think I think the idea once again, <laughs> I think the idea of it is neat. You get a bunch of creatures from like Greek mythology coming in and wreaking havoc in Philadelphia. Oh, I, yeah. I love it's that. Good on idea. Paper. I love it on paper. Yep. Just like I love the seven deadly sins as a villain in the first one. I actually, I think that it works fine, but like I still had that like works better on paper thing about it because they are still in that one, just like CGI manifestation things. Yeah. But like Correct. that movie, the movie's actually scary. And this one, both of them, I think, allow themselves 
to actually be scary and have like bigger stakes than most of these things do where you like feel the deaths happen and you're like oh shit this is kind of intense in like a way that other ones don't feel and when you think about the scale of the climax of the first movie it is at like at a carnival it's like a theme park a little tiny theme park and it's not about the monsters it's about the fact that the family has come together and they get all these powers and they're working together for the first time and they're bonding over it that's what you feel you don't care about what they're fighting you care about the fact that they're fighting together and it's got that important about kids as adults body switch comedy going on with like Mm -hmm. megan good playing like a really young child and it's yeah she's really funny here too yeah i agree i think she's i think she's good i think adam brody is really good i think the rest of the kid and adult characters are kind of thrown to the side what is really frustrating for me this is really i this is really sounding like a negative review but it's not it's not ultimately but the teenage billy who is in theory the main character of this entire thing no matter what you know the grown-up shazam played by zachary levi is supposed to be billy as a teenager who just looks like an adult. Yeah. I think getting rid of the teenage actor who's really good here and was really good in the first movie, getting rid of him loses something very important. And it's not that he's not even in the movie. He is. They just like sideline him, and he's in it for like a scene or two, or it's like very distracting because it's just Levi doing the shtick um, that he's a child, but he's playing it up. Like he's still a younger version I it was a it was a weird perform the performance that I found so charming and endearing in the first one there was a there was a different quality to it this time I think just because there's so much of him and like there's something to be said about the arc of the first movie and like there being a story to tell about it because now you're just kind of overloaded with Shazam the guy I don't know what you're supposed to call him uh fucking well, Shazam Levi. I mean yeah yeah he's he's Shazam I mean that's that's like adult Shazam. I don't know. The performance is fine and kind of funny, but like I found it kind of like overbearing and like I'm like isn't this kid supposed to be like way older now and all the other kids are older but he's still acting like a very young version of what a child as an adult would be. It just doesn't all I don't know. It was like something was lost yeah. in this one. Something, yeah, yeah, something is definitely missing and I I think not having that younger actor playing Billy yeah. to give us that because there is a really good story there. Um and I'm yeah. going to say that the payoff to his story, even though he's only in like two or three scenes before the big payoff to the scene, I found that moment to be very affecting. I think sure. this film does have some very sincere moments when you're talking about the family, when you're talking about the way that these these siblings actually, you know, are looking out for each other. Um, I still really like. Yeah, the found um, family stuff, which was like another element that made the first one really endearing, like they're it just feels like they're barely trying to weave that stuff in like it's they definitely give it lip service up top and then i guess it does come together but like i don't know it just felt like there was too much um other crap in between it uh, i'll let you yeah. keep going sorry i yeah i'm just i feel like i'm just gonna keep going and arguing with myself if you don't start talking i i really <laughs> i was really mostly i was on board with it for sure and then it kept losing me and it kept losing me. And by the time that that third act rolls around, not only is it about the CG and all that stuff, but it also becomes exclusively about Shazam and where that character is going to fit as a hero. Ugh. Not, not within yeah, his own not stories even, now, right. but beyond that. And because now the DCEU, whatever they're calling it, they're moving on. They're moving forward. They're trying to incorporate whatever they're trying to incorporate. And it's obvious they want to get Shazam in there somehow. And I, I just, you know, just let Shazam, 
be his goofy, sincere self in his own stories. Please yeah. do that. And it doesn't seem like that's what's where it's going to be. Yeah, that's it's why... like the the reason the first one was so good is because it wasn't like every other superhero movie that was just like you know going to culminate in the fucking building smashing CGI third act. Uh, and this one just kind of falls victim to all the things that the first one didn't fall victim to. Like there was. It's, I mean, it's really just comes down to the emotional character storytelling and like how that just isn't really there for me anymore. And it's just like way more quippy and like meta comedy. But like the comedy is like the song holding out for a hero is playing. And then Shazam shows up and then says, Yeah, it's funny that that song is playing. I'm very, dude, no way am I rescuing you to this song. I thought that, I thought that was a good gag, even though it was obvious. I still thought it was a good gag because of the delivery, but what are you going to do? That one was, that one was okay, I guess. Like, it did, it did elicit a laugh from me. I would lie if I say I didn't laugh at it. But like, that's kind of an energy that I just don't appreciate that it kind of leans into. Just like overcranked meta stuff that is just like, you know, classic, like if, if you're self aware and make fun of it, you can't, give you can't knock us for it like it's kind of like getting ahead of any criticism you could you could make about it um but yeah i don't know it just uh, i want to figure out why it was so disappointing i feel like lucy lou looked very bored (laughs) and helen mirren was more game but lucy lou really seemed to be phoning it in i think her character was supposed to be like foreboding but she let that just be like one note i would say uh rachel ziegler from west side story is uh is is good in the movie good performance um it's weird yeah like the why is freddie and rachel ziegler centered in this movie and not shazam like it just that's a great question right yeah that's a great question and i don't know if if they really know why either i don't think the filmmakers know why either except that you know that one relationship has to do with the bigger plot and so that's why it takes focus and then shazam is just there because he needs to be the hero and that's all he is now and he you know makes jokes and i i still appreciate that it is trying to do something different it is trying to be jokey with this genre it's trying to poke fun a bit at it less so this time around but i think it still does so um and i mean yeah i'm i'm torn on this very much so but i'm leaning positive because i did enjoy myself just uh, well, nowhere near as much as the first one. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. I wish. <laughs> I see. This is where we're not going to be combative again. Like it's not Except even sarcastic. I took the, I, it's genuine. I mean, it could have been condescending, but no, I don't it's think not. it was. <laughs> it's the thing. I, it's truly not. I'm like, I'm genuinely glad. Like, I really, I watched the first one and I felt everything. Like, it's like, it's just, I can't believe. I, I don't know. It's just disappointing to watch the first one. And have that human emotion and stakes that actually make you care about the movie. And then just watch this other, this, this follow up that just feels like it just felt like the most generic shit ever, man. I really felt like I was just watching CGI soup at a certain point. It really just devolves into that. And like it speaks to a larger, I think, visual effects crisis that we're in right now. I think it's like a COVID thing, like a post COVID. I know a lot of movies got delayed because of post vfx houses being just overbooked from all the movies that got delayed during covid and that has led to you know movies being turned around quicker than they should be it led to modok it led to modok looking that fucking way it led to this movie having some really shoddy looking effects i hear some upcoming movies cough cough renfeld 
have some very very bad looking visual effects it's it's fucking it's a crisis and you know you could argue quantumania opened huge and it did and it did fine and like in the grand scheme of marvel though it is definitely underperforming and if this one underperforms which we have no data for yet it just opened as of like an hour before we recorded this um i don't know it's interesting to see i'm interested to see how this does like i feel like it's it's tracking at like 35 million and like if it opens to that that's pretty fucking dire but basically everything lately has been over it's been they've been over the tracking estimates so maybe it'll do better than that we'll have to check in who cares but i don't know it it just feels like this one really made me feel like the superhero fatigue of just like yeah okay classic you're chasing a fucking orb it's a stick it's a whatever i don't know it just i never felt any of the connection i felt when i watched Shazam and again i rewatched it just before i finished i watched this and there's none of that heartfeltness to it and i guess again I hear what Mark's saying. I think it does end up giving lip service to that idea because it knows it has to try, but it just like lacks the fun, lacks the charm that made the original such a good time. And it really just wants to coast on that same energy without putting forth any effort uh, story-wise or on a visual level. Those, It really is just like two bad guys walking around doing stuff. It just feels like a nothing movie. Like That's what I walked away being like. I'm like, what like what happened? Like it just like was this inconsequential thing. I feel like you could like they were characters ended up in the same place they were at the start type of thing. It just felt like a nothing movie with like no stakes. And like maybe that's what made the first one so charming is that it didn't have any stakes. But I guess this one tries to have huge stakes and it slips on them. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah, and I'm gonna say like yeah, the story for me is not that great and it's also for me unimportant because i am more concerned about the tone of this and i'm more concerned about the elements of the characters that i do appreciate and that do have a bit of development a bit of evolution here or at least stay sturdy enough that i still can remember like oh yeah i remember how that character made me felt i remember how that relationship made me felt for the first film and i'm glad it's still there to some extent but yeah by the third act it is just and a it mess. has weird product placement that like in place of a joke that you could argue <laughs> yeah, is just okay. like a genuine yep. joke yep. but like there's maybe one. it's weird there's it one that's weird. like very very blatant um at least it's kind of a decent gag yeah um, i get it as yeah. like a pop culture osmosis this is a thing everyone re- would understand the reference for but it yeah. still smarts a little and just feels and weird just, yeah like if it had i'm just I, I think we're both talking about the same thing but if it had just been the candy yeah um and not if they had not shown like the actual candy package i would have thought oh you're just actually doing the gag but as soon as that candy package shows up the joke's ruined because like oh no this is just product placement and yeah Yeah. but otherwise it was a good gag until that point but yeah you're right there's some of that stuff i'm i'm still i'm giving this i'm giving this a very 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 generous pass i know Um, like low bar low i feel like in your yes in your heart you're a two and a half but you have to yeah. project the three, my, if only the op- to keep yourself uh, in check. In and, my brain, uh, I'm a two and a half. In my heart, I'm a three because yeah. I'm like, I still, I still, I still have this, I still have this bias. You want to believe this in this. Thing. You want I to do. believe that it's good and like that that they're you know I understand that. And there I was really, enough of yeah. it that I did find funny yeah. and charming that I'm like, yeah, and and different. It's just, just like think about the way the first one opened, like that clever, t- clever storytelling I trick, know. and yeah. like 
there's is there like I can't think of any storytelling beats this movie because it doesn't matter. Like it's just it's all it felt very inconsequential to me in like a way like I mean superhero movies I guess like I don't know what it sounds like a weird criticism like who cares why I don't know it feels like there should be some stakes for me to care about something and like that could even be again emotional and like that's what yeah. this is missing just character yeah, stuff this is, and maybe yeah, this because is they they built up all that stuff in the first one they did a great job and like now there's just like nothing left for them to do they're just like Developed. But there's so much yeah. there's so much for them to do. They do it all in the first act and then they drop it. That's the problem. There is because the first the first film, the stakes are small and personal. And in mm-hmm. this film, they start off that way because it's about the family trying to figure out how to be oh, a yeah. team. And you know what? And it is then funny. It turns into that. I forgot. Like the whole beginning is funny where they're like, we're the Philly, they call them the Philly, the Philly fiascos because they like they they are heroes, quote unquote, but like it seems like they fuck up just as much as they help. But like it really just seems like a bridge fell, and you know they were there to help, and they saved all the lives. But the bridge, they couldn't save the bridge, and it fell still. So they get yeah. the blame for the bridge falling. They, and it's like, literally like the media is yeah. doing. What have you done for me lately? And it's really funny. Like they funny. save everybody, and, but <laughs> Freddie, what does Freddie do uh, by himself? That was funny. Uh, oh, oh, he tries to stop an armored truck robbery, and then there's just a, a gag yeah. in the newspaper yeah. about what he actually did. He's like, yeah, well, that's it, funny it didn't. Too. It, I didn't explode it, or whatever he said was the line. <laughs> yeah, there's some good stuff. You're right. When it when it's do, when it's being Shazam one for a while, it's cosplaying as Shazam one for a little bit up top, and then it really pivots to like bigger stake shit. But like even the way it opens, I'm just like. You're cribbing the back uh, Black Panther like museum scene. Like it didn't. I just I couldn't even enjoy like the villain introduction because I just felt like it was already. I'm just like oh, I've already seen this movie. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's just superhero fatigue. But that's enough about Shazam: Fury of the Gods. Definitely disappointing. I'm glad to recommend the first one and say that it held up, which is something I don't say about superhero movies very often. So appreciate it and check it check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods I'm going to have to give a pass and give it two um, gods out of four yeah that's yeah I can't I can't <laughs> make the obvious reference of three daughters of Atlas because that was my least favorite part of the movie but what are you going to do yeah three you got to give it very, three like daughters a B minus B minus yeah. level three stars if we're going on that I'm yeah all right let's move on to the next movie which is Willem Dafoe in inside a focus feature number one go go okay you got seven minutes stay focused the art in here is worth millions proceed to step two In number three. Number three, come in. Help me! Get me out of here! What what is that Jean-Luc Godard expression famously? All you need to make a movie is um Willem Dafoe's face. He was right. I think that sounds right. It mostly works, but also I'm sorry. That's a that's a mis. I'm like misleading you on how I feel about this movie. 
it like works in that like it's a movie and I saw it and it's there and it's all it is is Willem Dafoe's face. But is it a good movie? I would argue not really, but it's kind of nice looking enough and slick enough. And Willem Dafoe is Willem Dafoe enough in a role that's just him by himself, which he's done before in uh, The Lighthouse. But also, was it the, the Picasso movie? Uh Whatever that one the was, the Van Gogh movie, the Van Gogh, the Van Gogh movie. movie, yeah, yeah, was Eternity's Gate, I think it yeah. was. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. That. That's, That's another one. one where he's like basically all by himself type of he performance. Also he did something I think called Siberia or something that was very yes. much a semi one man show. Is that an Abel Ferrara? I think it is. Yeah, is that? Yeah, I think this Abel Ferrara. I think New York icon Abel Ferrara. So it's definitely compelling on the base level of I'll watch Willem Dafoe do anything. I would even watch him, you know lick ice out of a freezer which is this movie will allow you to do but this movie seems like it's trying to say something very deep or like but i really don't think it is deep i think it's like posturing as deep and thinks it has a lot more to say than it actually does that's kind of the feeling i was left with afterwards but like when i think back about the experience of watching it it's like mostly a fond experience like i was like oh I had a good time watching that. It was fun to see him open the fridge for too long and then Macarena would start playing because there's a timer on it and that's the that's what the timer goes off as. Like it was a kind of a fun watch for a while, but I think it's just like kind of after a while it's tedious stuff. You're watching a guy trapped in an apartment. I haven't even talked about what the premise is. Mark, what is inside? Yeah, the premise is he uh, Defoe is playing this art thief who I guess repels down into this penthouse apartment in NYC um, breaks in and is supposed to steal like three very valuable paintings out of this apartment. And he does, he gets two of them and then is about to go out. He puts in the security code. It turns out, whoops, that's the lockdown code. So the entire apartment is locked down. There's this alarm and everything going off. He tries to stop that. He ends up breaking the thermostat, which starts raising the temperature his co-conspirators in the helicopter give up on him and just leave him there. And then it turns out the guy who was, you know, lives in the apartment. The entire reason he's robbing him is because the guy is like in Afghanistan on business for who knows how long. So there's no food. All the water is turned off. All the yeah. gas is turned off. There's so, even if there were food, no way to cook it. He has no way to drink. Uh, can't flush the toilet, which becomes, <laughs> which becomes a very disgusting point later on. But you yes. know what? There's a bit of, there's just enough realism, I think, to all this at the yeah. start that I I also appreciated how it started off. And I did appreciate Defoe's performance because he has to do a lot of heavy lifting because there's very little to this character, except that he's an art thief and he really likes art and he doesn't really have anything else in his life. And that's about it. And like um, that's kind of at a grand level. And maybe maybe I'm not giving the movie enough credit for like because the movie is just kind of it is about art in a way right because it's like what good is art you could say is like the thesis of this movie because he's stuck in this place where all he has is art and like it's not sustenance he like can't eat it and it's not like an escape a physical escape he can't use it to get out so like what function does it have but like that's what i want to see the movie tackling and like i guess that's in there right but i would say it's kind of all implied rather than any of that being explored. I feel like there's two voiceovers and it's him saying the same thing twice. Am I wrong? Like, yeah, you're right. That's how I, yeah, the start, he, he loves art and that's about it. And that's what you learn from the voiceover. That's about, that's about the extent of it. There's just not enough um, meat on the bone here, right? Is that the problem? 
I think there's I think there's enough meat because as like the survival thriller of this guy trapped and trying to make do with what's there, building like you said, the, the freezer uh, to the skylight. Yeah, building up this tower of furniture and trying to keep... What I appreciate about that is the way he tries to get it supported with those straps from the chair. Yeah, it's all, like, ingenious. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's a detail like any other movie doing the same bit would completely skip. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Of course you need, like, supports for this. So this guy is, like, not only, like, an art enthusiast, he's also, like, an amateur engineer and it's cool to see this guy try to work out these problems there's this irrigation system in this garden i did find that kind of funny like that all of the water in the apartments turned off except for the water in the garden and that just says something about this guy who owns the apartment and i that's where the movie hit the wall for me is that there is it is trying to get at something deeper about like the commentary and, about a guy who would keep art like this siloed off by himself. I think there's some yeah, commentary about sealed that. off yeah. and just sitting there for who knows how long for no one to look at, nobody to exactly. appreciate it. Nothing like that. Um, and who does care about like having a garden in his penthouse apartment for some reason, just for the aesthetic of it. I didn't, you know, like... Are we projecting onto Willem Dafoe that we think he... Um, is taking the art from there because he wants it to be seen by more people. Like, is or is that stated? I can't. Remember. I no, 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 no. It's never stated. I my impression is that based on the dialogue that you get from just between him and the guys in the chopper is that they're going in. He's gonna go. He's gonna steal the art and they're gonna sell it. Yeah. And in theory, in theory, it's gonna get sold to somebody who's gonna do the exact same thing. Yeah. Probably. But it. it Sometimes there's a there's a there's a scene that's either a dream sequence or a flashback to the owner of the apartment. Oh, when he's there previously, yeah, yeah, and it's hard to tell is that did that actually happen or is he imagining what his relationship with this guy would be like or should be like? Is he like? Does he have like? Is he envious of this guy and his life? Yeah, I can't tell. I can't tell if he is like this art enthusiast who knows. Of this world because he's because a part the movie of it. doesn't give us anything it doesn't yeah. give us it at all and yeah. i don't and that's one of the big problems with it is that it really tries to get you to start thinking about these things and it never gives you a baseline of what you're supposed to think about them or how you're supposed to think about them and so the entire third act starts to fall apart because it is more about that stuff than it is about the survival elements and i think the survival elements are strong because they are clever and Defoe's performance is so commanding because he's one of the few actors. I think that, you know, if you're going to watch somebody go mad in an apartment building, he's on a short list of actors. You're like, yeah, I'll watch that. Right. Yeah. There's something. And then, you know, of course it has to go to a descent into madness, right? Like it all is leading somewhere that we all know it's going to. And like, I just wish it had the wherewithal, or I don't know if that's the right word. I just wish it said what I think it's trying to say about art and about the people who would silo it off. I just wish it came through with some sort of cohesive message so I could recommend this movie and be like, oh yeah, it's an indictment of, you know, whatever sort of capitalist bullshit, rich people hoarding art. Like, I want it to, I want to, I want to be able to say something about this movie that uh, sums it up nicely, but I just don't think there's enough there. And, uh, but it's frustrating. It's one of those frustrating movies where I'm like, I want to like this desperately more than I do. So I think where I'm at with it is like a two and a half, um, 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 ref- fuck. I can't, 
<laughs> two and a half sprinklers out of two four. and a half playthroughs of the Macarena. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Around. There you go. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm exactly there too. I think the movie either could have expanded upon the ideas it's trying to communicate in a, <laughs> in just any kind of logical, tangible way, or streamlined the whole thing and just been about the survival setup, which is kind of yeah, clever. The survival and I mean, element is actually like, captivating and well done. And it's so ironic, like this idea of trying to survive within like this luxurious apartment like yeah right like that is that's such a great premise like like of all the places you would think you would need to survive or that would be like oh that's not going to be difficult at all and then it becomes a real challenge to try to stay alive in this place it's it's i can't believe we talked about it the whole time and never mentioned covid yeah which is obviously how it got made and why it got made. i mean i I feel like yes but i mean maybe not it's one of those things where like i don't know how long this was in development but i didn't look into it but like it definitely had that feeling of like oh good oh god another fucking covid movie but like i don't know it transcends that and i guess i wasn't really thinking about that i wasn't uh, either too often yeah yeah but i think it is like it does feel like one of those movies that would have been written around covid or you know is a commentary on covid but it never feels that way because it is up into a point a very clever survival thriller that I wasn't expecting. And um, then, yeah, then the third yeah. act all starts going in. Also, like, you have to take a lot of liberties. Like it's another one of those things where like, you have to just kind of allow the, it's like, there's no realism to the situation. Like somebody would have fucking come to this fucking place at, at, at a certain point. It just starts to feel ridiculous. Like, I guess, do we even know how long he was there? It could be weeks. It could be months. There's, yeah, there's no real setup. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if like the thermostat is a good clue oh, at sure. the beginning of it, just because by the end of it you have a clear idea of like what we time go of through year the hot cycle, the cold cycle. We, we have an ice yeah. age. We have a uh, a heat age. Whatever you yeah. call that. I wonder uh, if that's a good way to tell. But yeah, it's impossible to tell how long he's in there. Um, and maybe that would have helped too, just to have some kind of because it doesn't. Fe- you're right. This level of realism does make it feel all this the lack of realism in terms of certain elements does make it feel more allegorical, yeah. which leads you towards thinking, yeah, it's going to have some grand statement, but the grand statement never comes through. So, Yeah. There's something to the whole place being a tomb that he's just in. And like the super rich have these, these tombs with all their nice things in them. Like, again, I, I feel like I'm, I'm really putting, pulling out a lot of things myself to put onto this movie that, it, that it's not really giving me. I think I saw something on Letterboxd. I'll try to find his name. He had a review that was just like, uh, what's for dinner? All concept. Mm, great. I love all concept. <laughs> like, that's a great review of this movie. It's all concept. And I don't know if it follows through. That was Will Tempfer on Letterboxd. I hope maybe he listens. That'd be really funny. Um, anyway, two and a half from both of us on Inside. Let's move on to moving on with... Um, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. Hanoi Jane, as the Republicans would call her. I'm just kidding. Um, Let me find the trailer. Here it is. The trailer for Moving On. I'll give it clean so I can cut out my Hanoi Jane joke if I want to. But I probably won't. Here you go. Moving On. A devoted wife and mother. A doting grandmother. Joyce was a wonderful woman. Joyce. Joyce. This is Claire, one of Joyce's oldest friends. They were at college together. Claire. Howard, I'm going to kill you. Now that she's gone, I'm going to do it this weekend. 
Evelyn. I need to talk to you. About what? I told him I was going to kill him. I could chat. Mark, what is moving on with Billy Tomlin and Jane Fonda and um, other recognizable people? I think I don't. It's been a few days. It's I've, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's others. Oh, Malcolm McDowell's in it. Richard Malcolm McDowell. Roundtree's Richard in it. Roundtree's in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. People are in it. Yeah, yeah. It's a good. It's a really good cast, and I think that that cast helps it a lot because I'm not 100 percent sure the movie works. Um, at doing I don't know what either. It's supposed to do. Yeah. Um, so it's a sort of revenge comedy slash trauma based drama. And that's the big problem with it is that it has Jane Fonda's character traveling from like um, Ohio, I think, to California for the wedding, not the wedding, the funeral of um, a, an old friend. And yeah, she says she's going to kill the widower played by Malcolm McDowell for something that he did 40, 40, 45 years ago. Um and they and really that, tease this trauma out, even though I would say it's fairly obvious early on. It is they, they incredibly obvious. Yeah. yeah. They don't tell you still for quite a while, which I found like in a movie like this that's dealing with such a heavy topic, it feels kind of is trite the right word to say yes. when you're like treating something that like a delicate subject and treating it like a ooh a salacious plot point that you're going to want to find out about later, right? Yeah, and I think the reason that it is so obvious, I'm glad you found it obvious too, Very. is because Fonda's performance is so pinpoint accurate to that trauma, to that feeling of anger and yeah. regret and grief and all of that. She is so, so precise in this performance here that you can tell what happened to this character well before the movie overtly tells you. And even, I think, even wants you to start considering, like, what did this guy do? You know. Because her performance is so good. Um, and I think she helps carry it a lot because it is once you, and I think that helps the humor too, knowing it because you know this guy deserves it. You know this guy deserves yeah. what she wants to give him. And you're like, yes, this is funny. And I want to see this carry through. And I want to see how she's going to pull it off. And I want to yeah. see if she gets away with it. And it works as a comedy if you know that. But what I also found worthwhile in a completely different way is. There's that scene that she has with Richard Roundtree, who plays yeah. her ex-husband, her first husband. Yeah. That scene came out of nowhere for me, and it was very, very moving. Well, it that's like very, a very like that's when the movie became like a Paul White's movie. I feel like you know Paul White's yeah. the director. Famously, yes, he directed American Pie with his brother Chris, I believe. Yes. But he like in my mind, uh, I mean, About a Boy is probably his most famous hit, and like. That's a quality I feel like that movie has as well, right? Like of earnestness. Um, and Grandma, a movie, another movie with Lily Tomlin from I think 2015 when I was reviewing movies for somebody. I definitely reviewed that movie somewhere. Um, Grandma was another like kind of a heavy drama subject, but treated lightly, but also had very heartfelt moments. Like, you're right. That was one of the better moments of the movie. And it really felt like I was watching Paul White's. Whereas the rest of it, there's like a meandering quality to the to the movie right uh yeah there is it i think it's because i i don't i don't understand what lily tomlin's doing in this movie other than she's lily tomlin and it's nice seeing her in a movie again and being funny in that dead band way she can be um but her character is kind of like set up as an equal to fonda's character and there's really nothing going on with her character except to help out fonda's character um 
And so that feels like that entire character thread is just dangling there for no reason. And this movie is incredibly short. And so they have like a good, like 15 minutes or so, or just a character who feels completely extraneous to the material, just hanging yeah. out there. It doesn't function that well. Um, yeah. I just, I mainly think the problem with it is the inconsistent tone because it works well as a dark comedy. Um, and it works very well as a, you know, drama Since, about, yeah. A sincere, like, look, I really, you know, the idea of getting old and reflecting on, like, secrets from, like, you know, your fucking college days. And if you're, like, 70, that was a very long time ago. And it was, like, very compelling to me for, like, characters to be dealing with very specific trauma from those days that you would never think a person of that age would want to talk about or think about. And, like, it's just something you don't see explored in movies. So I was really interested in the movie. And I think it's ultimately... I'm giving it like a pass ish. Like I'm in between two and a half and three, but like, did you also, I haven't even looked this up. Maybe it's true. It has the equality that like, this is the lesser American remake of like a better foreign movie. <laughs> it kind of does feel that way, but I don't think it is. I, I don't, don't think, think it is. I don't think it has source material, but it does kind of, maybe, maybe this one will get transplanted over to France or something. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be like, like hey, really better. It may be worse. It's just American drama yeah. that now <laughs> becomes the French comedy of the hits, hits of the year. A reverse Tony Erdman, even though that never that actually funny. happened. Yeah. Um, God. Yeah. Getting old and not being able to do the things you used to do in your youth, like like uh, uh, Lily Tomlin playing the cello, I believe, is her thing. Like mm -hmm. all that stuff is compelling to me and character detail uh, that I love and like gets me in gets me on this movie's level. Um, tying up loose ends at the end of your life. Very compelling. But like this movie is just a little slighter than you want it to be. And I can't really explain why Lily Tomlin is, you know, classic, dry, sarcastic, funny. Um there's a side quest where they have to bring a man some bacon to get a gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ends up being something else. Um, yeah, I don't know. You're right. It is kind of torn between the seriousness and the comedy. And I want to just say right off the bat, if you're looking for a movie that balances those things a little better, check out Paul White's Grandma with Lily Tomlin and Julia yeah. Garner. Did you also like that movie? I did like that one, yeah. I would definitely recommend that one over this one for sure. Yeah, I don't want to be too mean to this one because I still think it's worth recommending. I think like, you know, like it's better than... What's what's the other? Wasn't there another Jane Fonda we watched recently that was like one of those abhorrent fake movies that doesn't... That... Oh, wait. Oh, oh, wait. We're not talking about 80 for Brady, obviously. No, um, but... <laughs> I mean like one of those... Maybe maybe she wasn't actually in it. It was like a was Diane Was it Lily Tomlin in it? Maybe. Wait, or maybe it was like the Diane Keaton was in one of them. It was like the one that had all the people... Uh, I'm just, I just mean to say this oh, one is better know, but... than something at that level. And I think it's worth recommending. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it... Uh, I'm giving it the very generous three-star review. Three... Oh, okay. I'm... Three uh, 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 murder attempts on Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> Which I think is actually the correct number. <laughs> um, I've given it. Yes. I've given it two, I don't know, extraneous threads of Lily Tavlin's character. I have no clue. Two stars. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not on board with this one as much. Okay. I really want it. But I did really want to be when you have that scene. I, I cannot say how much I love that scene between Fonda and Roundtree and them just sitting and so talking you just, about the past and everything. And you just also, want but, it to be fully sincere, I feel like. And you would be no, more no, no. into it. Because I, I also found all this stuff with trying to kill McDowell yeah. kind of funny. But it's like just 
the jarring nature of going from that to that and never really landing either of those in any meaningful way. That was the problem for me. It's like, I didn't find it. I didn't find the payoff to the revenge comedy that fulfilling. And I didn't find any of the character stuff ultimately that fulfilling either. Um, And so, yeah, it's like, yeah, I was lane is where I'm at. That's fine. I would say it's no grandma, but it gets the job done, even if just barely. But I am acknowledging it is a real tonal balancing act, this movie. So uh, be careful. You might fall off the ride. Um, Let's watch the trailer for the next one, which is this is probably the surprise of the week for me, Mark. I don't know about you. Yeah, me too. This is <laughs> I'll just movie. say it right up front. Let's just give it up right up front. Yeah, surprise of the week. Surprise of the week is Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game, a movie I normally probably would have avoided if not for the you're going to want to see this one text from Mark or whatever it was. Uh, here's a trailer for Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. This probably sounds weird, but I play pinball all the time. Helps me focus. Are you any good? It may be the thing that I am best at. Why are they taking the machines? We got busted. It never even occurred to me that the game was illegal. But for over three decades, pinball was banned in New York City. I want to show the city council members that they've had it wrong for all these years. Oh, you're a reporter? I just have a question about the pinball ban, sir. Somebody keep these damn kids away from me! We're going to set up a hearing, and we'd like you to come in to testify. You're going to play pinball at City Hall? I want to redeem the game. (laughs) That is a game of chance. That is a game of skill. Well... Anytime you want to chide this movie for being too tropey, it breaks the fourth wall to make that same criticism first. It is both a parody of a by-the-numbers biopic about like a real event that happened, and at the same time, it's actually a pretty good one of those. Um, Mark, what is this movie? Yeah, this movie is one that kind of tells this very niche story about how pinball the game was made illegal in New York city from like the great depression onward. And then was saved randomly in the 1970s by this guy who really liked pinball. And that's about it. And you keep like wondering, like, is this story really worth telling? And I think the filmmakers are on that same level. It's like, is this story really worth telling? Like we need a really good reason to tell this story. And, and they find a bunch. Yes. I think I that, was surprised. that is true. I totally agree. And what I love about it most Mark is the the grand ski the grand like message of it i would say is like the movie's focusing on what the filmmakers who are interviewing the real subject the whole time who's actually an actor not a real subject but they're interviewing the whole time and he keeps getting off track talking about his relationship with his wife that that he that that is really charming in this movie like this actual like meet cute or whatever you want to call it that actually is a relationship that i found very endearing and the movie keeps honing in on that when it should be honing in on details about the pinball stuff and the, the directors have to jump in, you know, and break the fourth wall and be like, Hey man, like tell us what's really important about this story. And like, I just love the, the implication through the movie, through the filmic, like by the meta-ness of making the movie through that process, what's revealed is what's important to this story. And it's like family and she's like very, it's a very basic thing. But I was I found it very endearing and charming. And like that's just the quality that ran through the whole thing 
but like it's a very successful you know mockumentary slash biopic whatever you want to call it i don't know if anyone watched paul t goldman it's almost paul t goldman-esque but it's not the real guy at the center obviously um and like i wanted to be annoyed at the annoying frame device like let's start at the beginning and type of shit but i think it's it knows what it's doing and it's passionate about its subject matter it's like a celebration of pinball. Pinball is a means of gaining control. Like all the like annoying film nerd things that I love about movies. Like mm, there's themes and there's subtext. Like all that stuff is here and it's really well done. But it's also just a very fun movie that makes you like get on this guy's side. And it's, you know, one man versus the, the man, like the, the, the authority and just trying to like get this like thing passed. And it's funny that this came out before a slew of very similar looking biopic movies that are like all about executives like the tetris movie air flame and hot blackberry it looks like this could be a very specific parody of that movement but it happened beforehand i just rambled a lot but uh, i think i really like this movie mark is what i'm realizing i i really liked it too i was shocked um i'm just gonna say mike uh feist who was so great in West Side Story. I'm glad he's not a one-hit wonder. He's great here, too. He has this very specific, awkward, nerdy air to him that's really charming and, and endearing, and it never gets old. It never gets stale. He's just really compelling in this role. Um, I, I, you know, I like pinball as a fun little game when I'm at, like, an arcade or a retro arcade or wherever I'm at. I like playing it, but... You know what? I didn't think I wanted to hear the history of pinball. I was fascinated by the history of pinball yeah. stuff, and I wasn't expecting that. Am I just a sucker for like weird bits of New York history and also weird bits of Chicago history? They're yeah, both in, they're both in there. <laughs> but like, is that why we liked it so much, or is it genuinely like interesting? I think it's genuinely interesting. I think it's genuinely interesting the way it's, it's the way because it's 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 you're right. The the metal level of just having this guy tell the story of his life and just telling what interests him at the moment is. I, it's just i mean yeah it's a simple gag but it it's works smarter really than you well. want to give it credit for with the story it's telling and how it's telling it i really do believe that it's like very clever in the way it shows what's really important in the story and it sounds so corny but i love no, the way that it arrives it at does, that destination it very does sound earnestly. so corny yeah but that first time that he's like you you're just watching this couple that just met and going on a first date and they're talking and hanging out and the scene goes on for a while but the two of them um the, the the woman is played by Crystal Reed. She's like a single mother and she's trying to make sure that this guy is actually someone that she could have a life with if it comes down to it. You're watching them and you are completely involved in this because they're both so good. And the dialogue between them, the fact that she is that upfront about it and the fact that he is kind of wrestling with this idea like, I'm younger and do I really want a family at this point in my life even though I love her and she he gets to meet her, his, her daughter, or no, her son. Yeah. Um, all that stuff. It's like it is really compelling. And that first time that he does get interrupted, I'm like, yeah, I get where this movie is going. And I'm completely on board with it because that relationship is developed to such a degree that you yes. really feel and you really are cheering yes. for these two. And it's been a while since I've seen like any kind of movie, like get me involved in a relationship like this and get that specific level of like what these two people want and how they differ and how is that going to work out between them? You feel all that. And it makes all the difference because I'm like, I'm engaged in the history of the pinball stuff and I'm even more engaged in this romance and yeah, it just works. 
that's that's really it. It's a charmer of a film that comes out of nowhere, I think. And yeah. Yeah, I I I I can't believe it. It's definitely like the surprise of the week. I'm giving it absolutely a the strongest possible three out of four you can get. Uh, yeah, for me movie. too. It is so yep. good. It is it's, such it's, like a recommend. Like if it's playing near you, go see it. You'll have a good time. If it's on VOD, pay the six bucks. It's just charming stuff. It's compelling. You'll learn stuff. Like I love a biopic where you like you're actually trying to like Wikipedia hunt after and figure out more because you're like that was interesting like why the fuck did that happen um really great movie uh surprise of the week pinball the man who saved the game do you know anything about the release is it like out? um i do i know it's getting a limited release i don't know if it's... So that means it's in like probably one theater in new york uh perhaps um one in la and like yeah. one in chicago but the one in chicago might come a week later if that's how if, if things still work like they used to when i lived it's, in chicago yeah you know, what was funny is that when I went to see Shazam, it looked like there was a screening of this movie, like in the same theater. And I was very, oh, nice. I wanted to go over there and be like, I really like this movie. Um, can I help get you some people to go see it? And then I'm like, no, I need to get upstairs. Yeah, go Shazam. bark outside um, like it's a comedy club and get some people. Yeah, I know. In there. Like, no, seriously, yeah. go watch this one. <laughs> you should. You should have done um, yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got, yeah. I should have, but what are you going to do? What were you um, say? Yeah, limited Sorry. release. Let's okay. see. California, Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, New York. And I go. assume VOD. If not this week, it will be very, very shortly. But yeah, check it out. Well, there you go. And let's talk about another indie. Is it a gem or is it not a gem? We'll talk about it in just a minute. This is Wildflower with Kiernan Shipka. I think this played Sundance. It definitely played a festival. People I know saw it, um, but I just caught up with it. And it is out, presumably limited release and or VOD. Here is Wildflower trailer. You work here? No, Esther, I'm picking up your trash because I don't work here. Dad, don't forget you have a dermatologist appointment today. Also, can you deposit mom's disability check? Growing up, I was told my parents were special. When I got old enough, I realized that's the word adults use when someone has a disability. Who's that? He looks thirsty. Look at her, the part of her brain that makes her horny is still working. She just wants to give him something to drink. It's the worst that could happen. I don't think they can take care of a child. What choice do we have? My mother named me after her favorite cartoon character. Hi, Bambi. Now you know what B is short for. But hey, at least we were happy. You know, Mark, this movie has such a unique and specific setup and point of view that I can't say I've ever seen done quite this way in a movie before. And yet it ends up drowning in cliches by the end, all the fucking same. And Kiernan Shipka, I thought was great, but you know, the cavalcade of great character actors that you saw in the trailer are mostly underused. Um, I have no idea what you thought about this movie and I'm excited to hear what you thought, but tell me what it is first, please. Um, yeah, so it is a coming of age story about this teenager who is being raised by a father with an intellectual disability after he was involved in a drunk driving accident and a mother with a developmental disability. She was born and, you know, has developed to a certain age and that's where she's at. Um, yeah, there's this rush at the beginning of the two of them meeting and, getting married right away and having birth of the child and the struggles that they have to try to, you know, be parents 
to a newborn baby while their own families are trying to become involved. And you're like, okay, this is interesting. Um, there's some real yeah. frank and not exactly polite talk about some subjects that you know are going to come up. But I think the movie handles those discussions as well as could be expected when you have like some characters yeah. who are intentionally meant to be um, not exactly sympathetic. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's fine. Have those conversations. Let's do that. Um, and then, yeah, the whole movie kind of forgets the whole thing about the parents, doesn't it? And then it's, it just becomes the most cliche Sundance movie from like 20 years ago. It feels like a, a bygone era Sundance movie to me. Like, it also feels like Coda if it were edgy. It feels you know? like, yeah, it feels like Coda if it just eliminated the fact like, oh, remember our premise is about a child of deaf adults. And instead, it's just child. Who yeah. happens to have a child with boy issues like, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Her with a boy who beat cancer or whatever it is. Um, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, more, yeah. more Sundance Film Festival cliches. Exactly. There. <laughs> exactly. You know, I appreciated a lot about this movie, though. Like, it's like everyone's embarrassed by their parents taken to an extreme situation. Um, and like, you know, I'm this is probably people. There are people in the world who live this very situation. And I appreciate that this is like, you know, a lighter version of that story and where it could have been like more dour. And I appreciate that it has like that upbeat Sundance quality to it. But there's something off about it, right? Like by the time it ends with the fucking college entry essay about like what she learned, I was like fully. Oh, my like, God. OK, OK, I'm done. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because let's let's <laughs> we have we've been avoiding the elephant in the room here, I think, which is. Okay. So, yeah, the whole the whole thing with the college essay. That's like a gimmicky premise, right? You like, how do you yeah. how do you get a character to tell a story of their life? You give them a college essay to write, right? Right. What does this movie do instead of that? It puts her in a coma in the first oh, like, two minutes. <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I know. Well, and you know what? I I almost liked it, if only because the the point for being seeing a movie start, especially from the point of view of a girl in a coma who is fe- like being feeling trapped by her family that being made literal by being in a coma and surrounded by them and like being an omniscient narrator and telling us, fuck, I wish I could get out of this right now, but I'm in a coma and I can't like that was compelling to me. I was like, Ooh, it's literal. She's trapped, but then they don't really do anything with it. And you realize no, it's a don't. narrative convenience. Yeah. It's just a narrative convenience that, you know what? A college essay might've been <laughs> just, just, it would have worked just as fine. And just it wouldn't have felt so melodramatic. Yeah. And you wouldn't have like, been spending yeah. the entire movie. Like, Wait, did the are the parents responsible for this, or do they want us to think the parents are responsible for this? You know what? Because like, there's a social it, worker investigating. That makes it quite insidious. I forgot about that. Like, yeah, it has a. That's kind of a. That's kind of fucked up. I kind of a little bit, about isn't that. it? Just a little yeah, bit. It's, it's like up. it forgets about the parents, except when it wants you to think like maybe the parents are somehow responsible for the daughter being in a coma. It's like um, I don't, I don't know if it handles the issues as deftly as I thought it did the first go round. After like a, a few minutes distance from it, yeah, <laughs> um, it feels like it's evading yeah. that issue. Once it sets it all up, it feels like it's evading it because there are scenes with. The aunt, played by Alexandra Diodario, and the uncle, played by uh, Scott Reed. Wait, what's his name? Um, I think so. Reed Scott. Reed Scott. I, yeah. Say it. You um, said it like it was in a phone book. I know. <laughs> I did. Um, but it has scenes with those characters. There's a lot with Jackie Weaver and a lot with Gene Smart and a lot with all these other... With Charlie Plummer, who plays the boyfriend. Brad Garrett. A lot of... Brad, Brad Garrett shows up again after you think like he's just out of the picture entirely. It has all of those scenes, and you're like... 
where's that similar scene with her parents? Yeah. That doesn't show up until near the end of the movie. And by that point, the whole relationship feels like it's just background dressing. And that feels not insidious, but it feels like it's just not taking any kind of respect or consideration for what the entire point of the movie I thought was supposed to be, which is what is it like to be in this familial situation? And what are the challenges of it? What are the joys of it? What are all the things that you want to experience? None of that's here. Yeah. This was a three-star movie at the start, Mark, that like through the middle became a two and a half star movie. And by the end, it ended up where I'm at now, which is a two-star movie. Where are you? Okay. I'm at two Two, stars too. Two wildflowers. Two wildflowers. Yeah. Um. Wow. Two Jackie Weaver uh, cigarette stumps. <laughs> yes. That was a funny gag. I like that she just kept smoking in the ho- in the hospital. Um. All right. Let's talk about. Oh man, this is a weird one. I really thought I was on this movie's side, and I and then I realized that it was just tricking me with a score that sounds like it's a John Williams <laughs> Amblin score, and I'm like, no, 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 no. This movie's not very good. Um. Here is the trailer for Supercell. We'll see if it has some of that beautiful music in it. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tight as a group, and when I say we go, we go. We'll get closer to the heat than any other tour company. Let's go! Everybody in the van! <laughs> You're welcome. Your parents were the reason I started chasing. But did you know about this? I can save lives. You know how dangerous this world is. Who goes out onto a roof to get close to the sky? Hey! So you thought it would be a good idea to turn this thing on and see what happens. What oh, God. This movie wants what Amblin has so bad. Um... I like that it's shameless about being like a twister inspired movie. Did you, did you catch the Google autofill? I did. I didn't mention the, I did notice the Bill Paxton reference. Yeah. It's um, in there. What, what is this movie, Mark? Um, yeah. So it is the story of a teenage boy who, uh, whose father was this renowned storm chaser who died chasing a storm. And so now uh, his mother played by the late Anne Heche moves him from tornado alley to Florida. Um, and then he gets a random package in the mail telling him um, his father's notebook and showing him all the things that his father could have done. And so the kid um, played by Daniel Deemer wants to run over to Texas and figure out what his father was up to and maybe follow in his father's footsteps. Um, yeah. You know what? I was kind of on board with this movie for a good amount of time. And you're exactly right. It is aping that Amblin feel, and I was like, okay, you it's know what? doing a this, successful job for a it long is doing time. Quite a... When it's like static imagery of the sky and mm-hmm. like storms and clouds and lightning bolts, when it's just static and you're just like framing characters in that space, it looks great. I thought it like, does for a cheap movie, especially presumably very cheap movie, whatever. I don't know how they made it or whatever, but it. It definitely has the look of a cheap indie movie. And then, I don't know. I was like, wow, this has like a glossy digital film quality for sure. But mm-hmm. like, it looks good. And then I would say that I, I lost that quality when like action starts happening a little bit. But yeah, it was impressive to me. That was like worth noting. 
it's very much worth noting because we talk a lot about how um, movies, lighting <laughs> for coverage. movies, don't yeah. have looks. They light for coverage. They, this yeah. movie has a very distinct look. It's a first-time filmmaker. His name is Herbert James Winterson. I want to throw out that name because I think because you're going to be hearing smart. it. I'm not saying that <laughs> he's the he's new smart. Tarantino. I'm just kidding. Yeah, this is this is a debut feature. He's a smart filmmaker, clearly, because he knows the limitations of this. And you know what? The limitations here are you get a really good cinematographer to shoot your scenes of these storms at a distance and characters framed in and everything looking ominous and characters looking up at those skies in awe. And you know what? It kind of works for a good amount of time. It does work for a good amount of time. I don't know if some of those storms were done with digital effects. It didn't look like it when they're far off and they look from afar. There's a shot of like a tornado forming from like a really long way away. And you're like, if you were a storm chaser, you would be that far away. And so maybe that's footage from an actual storm chasing team or something. They got a tornado forming. It's like, that's damn impressive. Um, but yeah, you're right. There is a certain point where the limitations hit the script and the script is going to be about, we need to get these characters inside of a storm. Um, and then it becomes a lot of green screen and a lot of <laughs> not, not convincing visual effects. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate because I, I because really the fundamentals are there mm-hmm. and it just can't deliver the thrills it needs to at this budget level. So it like barely tries to, but then when it does try to, it, like in the third act, I guess, like it's very talky and boring up until then, I would say. And then when it does try to go big, it has those cheap effects, which which weaken it. But man, those those static shots of of storms or whatever genuinely thrilling at times and john william williams is honestly liable to sue this i I yeah (laughs) it's it's a very very convincing uh imitation i will just say that much but you know what that's that's the mood they're going for it's a movie that that google searches bill paxton and that has the uh the john williams score and that has the awe filled looks up into the sky it's like it is wearing its influences on its sleeve and i'm all about that because yeah for a while i appreciated the restraint of the filmmakers to actually just give us these shots of nature as it looks and it is impressive um there's a really cool practical effect involving popcorn that you know like and probably like a little bit of digital trickery or maybe it's all digital trickery but it looks white right and it's like yeah you know what if you're gonna try to um suggest the presence of a tornado forming Popcorn floating up into the air is kind of frightening and yeah. also kind of cool. It works when it knows its limitations, but yeah, once it once it's like, no, we need the big third act devastation and the chases and people getting sucked up and thrown around by tornadoes, man, it just it just falls apart. Yeah. And that's really too bad. That's another one where I was at a three star start and then it t- deteriorated to the point where I'm gonna go ahead and give it two alec baldwin appearances out of <laughs> I'm, I'm giving it i'm giving it i don't even know okay i'm giving it two and a half yeah um, i'm like pretty close to that and like i should chunks be convinced. of hail yeah chunks of hail <laughs> two and a half chunks the hail looks really good too um except for when it goes digital for the broken windows and all that but like there's like chunks of hail falling onto the roof of the van it's like oh okay yeah i'm all on board in this anyway a very not really generous two and a half but i mean it's it's just a shame 
Yeah. They, they couldn't find a way to work around the big third act climax and just give us more of what we were getting that was working so well. Oh, Skeet Ulrich is in it, and he's pretty yes. good. He's like Skeet the surrogate uncle. It. He's a, Skeet Ulrich of Scream fame, of Billy Loomis fame yeah. is in it. Um, all right. Let's move on to the last film of the week. It's called Rodeo. It's from Chicago's Music Box Films. They presumably bought it at a festival or something. It's a French movie. Um, it's one of those movies I wish I liked it more than I did. And I have no idea how Mark feels. I'm excited to talk about it. This is Rodeo. C'est que si la daronne est de voilà, il appelle les keufs. Vas-y, de toute façon, je reste pas ici dans cette vieille paradis. C'est quoi, c'est du mélange dedans Tu viens, tu te sers chez les gens comme ça, toi. Tu fais pas le crevard, j'ai besoin de cramer. Regarde, là, il y a tout le monde qui crame. Moi, je suis la seule débile sur le côté. Vous faites quoi ici Pour taper les bécanes Pour plaquer les numéros Vas-y, bouge de là. Bouge, TJ. <laughs> I just came up with what this is, Mark. This is Fast and the Furious by way of Emily the Criminal. That's my description of this movie. Do you like it? That's about right. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> that just came to me while watching the trailer. Wow. Um, did you like this movie before we get into it at all? I have no idea. Um, I'm very mixed on it. Okay, um, me too. Yeah. I want to so bad. I think it's very compelling in certain ways. Um, what is what is this movie? Um, so it is a story of a young woman named Julia who wants to become involved in this biker gang, basically. And um she does. <laughs> Ta-da. No. Yeah. So she's like she's She's she just, wants to do a Fast and the Furious style heist, truly. Like her dream yeah, is to does, do a Fast yeah. and the Furious style bikes behind a truck situation and taking bikes off the truck. Yeah. So she wants to join the biker gang. She's been living off of the street. Her her mother presumably kicked her out of the apartment. And so she's going around stealing what she needs, stealing what she wants, all that stuff. Um, she ends up getting into the biker gang and complications ensue. And that's, that's really it. Um, there are some interesting ideas about uh, the character who's like fascinating on this very superficial level because she is like street smart and she knows what she's doing and she knows what she wants. And she's uh, ambitious in terms of that. Like you said, she wants to do this, elaborate heist while everybody else is thinking like oh how can we go on ebay go up to some guy and steal their bikes that's where they're at and she's like oh you know what we could ride up our bikes alongside this truck driving down the highway and break open the doors get in and steal all the bikes that would be a really cool idea huh like that's where she's at and yeah yeah, some people don't appreciate the fact that she is like a rising star in the game real fast um there's a lot there's a lot going on. It's hard to really explain because I, I, I think. What's it trying? To, like, I just couldn't figure out what it was going for. Like, are you trying to be? I just kept writing down like woman trying to make it in a male dominated space type of thing, dealing with yeah. inherent misogyny. Mm-hmm. Um, but like set against this really interesting world. And like, I love that it's a French movie about, you know, bicycle thieves. <laughs> you could call yeah. it. It's like, <laughs> I like that it's working on that level. Um, I just don't think there's any reason to care about any of these people i feel like it's a character study of a character that they don't really give you anything 
much you don't really get anything about you don't get much regarding this no, character and like I, maybe that's the point is that it's like withhold with how withholding she is or whatever i don't know but like you don't end up knowing much and it's hard to feel much by the time it has a very silly fucking ending uh yeah it does have <laughs> that and yeah there's there are so many things where she has like so when she first gets in the game, somebody ends up dying from an accident and yeah. she ends up having dreams of this guy that are potentially real. Like maybe these aren't dreams, but they're like spiritual visitations. So you have that plot line going on. That about was like, very strange. Yeah, it was very strange. So it's like this existential morbid sort of thing, like embracing death. And that's how you can very live. surreal, magical, realist shit. Yeah. The gang leader is in jail and she ends up helping out the gang leader's wife who's basically under house arrest because the gang leader doesn't want her going anywhere because he's jealous or because he's just a control freak and so that relationship kind of gets started of her like showing a more tender side to her i think is the point but that doesn't go anywhere either and so yeah you are just left with this character who all we know about her is she's just desperate to become involved in this world and she does and then you know, all this stuff happens to her and she has a hard time with it. And like, I get it, but I don't really understand why I need to see it because I don't have a connection to this character beyond what you've told me. And you haven't told me that much. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm really mixed on it. Cause I was fascinated by the world and I, I think agree. there's so many interesting ideas and angles that it could have taken and that it starts to take. And then it just, it, by the third act, like once again, third act problems apparently is this week's episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, it just turns into almost an action movie, just, you know, with a, you know, lower budget. I mean, it's a fine sequence, but you know, it's, that's all it amounts to. And you're like, if that's all it is, I don't really understand the point. So it reminded me of yeah. like an uh, Andrea Arnold movie or something, but with like, yeah with like you know about a very different thing like a euro fucking biker gang or whatever but yeah i don't know it just it felt like another one that just kind of kept doing cliched stuff and i kept waiting for something to happen um i don't know there's something it's like hard to watch this woman be treated so badly by all these people including her mother and everyone else it's like an unwanted person and like i don't know i just wanted I, I wanted to be on this character side and like you know get that character study that makes you go hmm <laughs> but like it really didn't get there for me i just kind of left confounded and then i laughed at how silly it, it it ends um but like maybe if you're on the movie's wavelength that ending is like beautiful <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah um but like you know we mentioned oh, i guess we mentioned off mic we mentioned dardan's because they have a new movie coming out but like this felt feels like dardan-esque in its lived-in quality would you say yeah there is an i mean there is an authenticity i think to this world and all of these characters but, but again it's it is clearly aiming for something much higher than just kind of giving you the feel of this world and um, all the dangers that go along with it. It's clearly going for something bigger. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't have dreams that might be actual ghostly visits in the middle yeah. of the night. Um, Mark, it seems like we're in the wrong line of work. We should get into stealing motorbikes. It seems very easy. It's incredibly easy. Um, I was shocked by that. <laughs> That's your real surprise of the week. Yeah. It is incredibly easy to steal a motorbike. Yeah, I think it's a real movie-style simplification because, holy shit, it's very easy. Um, all right. That's probably a, ended up being a two-star experience for me as well. Another one. All these movies start 
they, they start high yeah. and they just kind of trail off. It's one of those a, weird one of those weeks. I'm a little more generous. I'm giving it two and a half just because I was, you know, again, superficially compelled by a lot of things going on in this. But now I can no mention the elephant in the room while we plug next week. Next week, there's a very exciting movie we'll talk about that. What I, what I should have said when we talked about Shazam 2 is everything pales in comparison after you watch this movie. So how am I supposed to get excited about action in Shazam when there's action in John Wick Chapter 4, which we'll talk about next week alongside some other shit, right? I don't know. Uh, good person. Zach yeah. Braff's new Ooh, one with Florence Pugh Braff and joint. Morgan Freeman. Yes, Florence Pug uh, Pugh. <laughs> Pugh. I already had this problem before. We'll do you it did. again. It's I just think you're just doing it intentionally. <laughs> I, again, I'm not, but okay. I understand that. Um, I truly think it's that until I'm reminded. Um, Florence Pugh, Zach Braff directed. Morgan Freeman's also in it. Uh, there's other stuff, but those are the two big boys. And uh, we'll cover them. We'll see you next week at the movies. <laughs> Just start saying that now. Okay, bye. The show starts in one...
Jalan Sar. Shut up. Ush. <laughs> <laughs>